the fourth Sunday night of our congregation, when we meet together on Sundays, we have uh, an extended period of singing when we invite different men in the congregation to come up, if they like, uh, to lead some of their favorite songs or lead some new songs. And, and uh, it's just appeared to give everybody the opportunity to uh, lead some singing on that fourth Sunday night. And we've been doing that, uh, I guess, for almost 15 years now. But every now and then, somebody kids me a little bit because uh, there's a song that I like to lead on those particular evenings. I don't always do it, but I do it uh, probably this song more than any other song. And this, this song right here, There is a Bomb in Gilead. And the reason why I like leading this song is because, first of all, it's a song we don't sing in worship service very often. Uh, not a lot of people are familiar, familiar with it. But also I like it because of the message that's being taught there about the, the idea that there is a bomb in Gilead and it's there for the sin-sick soul. And this morning, because I'm standing up here and I'm in charge right now, uh, we're going to sing this song again because it is one of my favorites and I think it is a good introduction uh, to our lesson this morning. So let's sing one more song before we actually get into our lesson this morning. There's a bomb in Gilead. And once again, Austin, if you don't mind, uh, change the slides for me as we go through the song. <clears throat> there is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded home. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. If you cannot preach like Peter, if you cannot pray like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus and say He died for all. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal 
the sin-sick soul. This morning we're going to be talking about this particular balm that we discover in the mountainous region of Gilead. Before our lesson, before our services this morning, someone asked me about the title of this particular lesson, and they said, what is that all about? Well, today we're going to discover what in the world is the song talking about when it's talking about a bomb that is in Gilead. Gilead was a region that was um, on the western part of the Jordan River that was a mountainous region. And in that particular region, there was a tree known as the balsam tree, that from the sap of this particular balsam tree, there was a a gooey substance that would be used to heal all kinds of different ailments that people would have. In fact, going all the way back to the time that Joseph was being um, captured by his brothers and being sold into slavery... The group of people that Joseph was sold, in, sold in, into slavery to was a group of Ishmaelites that were coming from Galilee, Galilee, uh, Gilead. And notice what they had uh, when it says, Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Most people think that this particular balm that's being talked about is the same balm that uh, came from Gilead. And it was known for its medicine, Notice, known for its healing ability. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 8, we have Jeremiah is very, very upset. Jeremiah, of course, was a prophet to the people of Israel, and he was trying to get them to repent before God destroyed the nation, before God sent Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and take the people of Israel into captivity. He was trying to get the people to see the errors of his ways, and the more that he preached, the more he got upset, the more it broke his heart, the more it made him cry. In fact, he even wrote a separate book called the Book of Lamentations, because here was a man who could see very clearly that if the people didn't repent, if the people didn't turn back to God, he knew what the outcome of their circumstances were going to be, and it broke his heart. And so he brings up this idea of the fact that there is a balm in Gilead. And what I want us to do today, this morning, is I want us to go back and open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 8. Now I'm going to read for emphasis sake once again the text that we have before us. And then we're going to go through and discover the point that Jeremiah was making for the people of Israel. And the point that he still makes for us today. But for emphasis sake, and I hope that you have your Bibles turned to this passage and have your marker there. Because our lesson is going to come directly from the text. But notice the heartache that Jeremiah begins this section of Scripture when he says in the King James, When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their graving images and with their strange vanities? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. 
For the hurt of thy daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Now let's look at this particular text, and I want you to notice some of the things that if you look and read between the lines, you'll see what Jeremiah is driving at. What he is talking about when he's talking about the situation of the people of Israel. But at the same time, as we look at this Old Testament passage, it's very easy for us to move it into the New Testament and think about our current situation today and how that this particular section of Scripture is still applicable to us today. But one of the things that is brought out in this particular text that is so very important, the very first thing we should appreciate is the fact that in the text, Jeremiah is talking about a disease. He's talking about a disease. Now, obviously, he could be um, talking about all the different diseases that a mankind might have in their particular life. There are diseases that affect the body in different ways. There are diseases that affect the bloodstream. There's diseases that affect the uh, joints of the body and the bones. There's diseases that affect the heart and the lungs. There's diseases that affect the brain. There's diseases that affect our outside appearances. There are some diseases that if you get the news from the doctor that you have this particular disease, you almost instantly lose hope. There are some terrible diseases out there. But the very worst disease, the disease that Israel needed to worry about and the disease that we need to worry about is the disease of sin. Sin is the worst kind of disease because sin is a sickness of the soul. Jeremiah is saying to the people of Israel, we are facing a national health crisis. The whole nation is involved in sin. And something needs to be done about this disease. And certainly as we look at our society today, we would say we are again facing a national health crisis. Because we look at the world around us and we discover that this is a world that is full of sin. But as we look at this passage and as we look at this disease, there's something that we need to be reminded of. And that is... That there comes a point in our lives where every single one of us is going to get this disease. There's just no stopping it. If we reach the age of accountability, the time will come when we'll commit that first sin and then we'll be a sinner for the rest of our lives. Regardless of what that sin may have been, whether it be a small sin or whether it be a big sin, whether we commit great sins in our lives or whether we commit sins that uh, we may not think are so great, regardless of the fact that once we sin, we have the disease of sin, and that sin is destroying our lives. And there's not a single person who is immune to this. There's not a single person who will not catch this disease. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. He also reminds us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So each and every person here, they have a disease, and that disease is called sin, and that disease is destroying their lives. 
If this disease is not cured, then this disease is terminal, folks. Sometimes when we go to see a doctor and the doctor gives us the prognosis of whatever thing that we are dealing with, we much rather hear him say, well, you've got a common cold instead of hearing that we got cancer. We much rather hear him say, well, you're just dealing with anxiety than dealing with heart disease. Because we know that there are some diseases that carry with it greater risk and are more terminal than other diseases. But folks, let me tell you right now, if you've got the disease of sin, it is always going to be terminal. Ezekiel reminds us in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, the very last part of that verse, he says, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Jeremiah is looking at the people of Israel and he's saying that we have a national health crisis here. Disease has eaten up the entire nation. Notice what he says in verse 21. He says, For the hurt of thy daughter of my people am I hurt. Now you might not understand that at first, but what he's looking at, he's looking at the nation of Israel. And he sees how disease infected they are. And it just breaks his heart. But he also understands and appreciates the fact that he too has this same disease. Folks, we may look around the auditorium today and we may say, well, that person is not as, uh, uh, is not as bad a sinner as another person or I'm not as bad as that person is. They uh, have sins that I don't have or maybe my sins don't seem as big against their sins. But the point we've got to understand, if you've got the disease, you've got the disease. A sinner is a sinner no matter what kind of category you may put it in. And the point is that sin is always terminal. If the disease is not checked, if the disease is not healed, then the only outcome is that this sin is going to destroy our souls. We may go about our lives thinking that we're all perfectly okay. Maybe we are in the best of health. Maybe we have the strongest health, the strongest heart. Maybe we have the clearest skin. Maybe we have the strongest muscles and joints. Maybe our lung capacity is the best it's ever been. But folks, this disease called sin makes you nothing more than the walking dead. That's how terrible this disease is. And Jeremiah looked at the nation of Israel And he says, this is killing me because this disease is killing my nation. In the same way Jesus Christ could look at us today, and he says, this is killing me because this disease is killing each and every one of us today. But notice what else he brings in the text. Notice that there is a remedy available. In verse 22, in the first part of it, he says, is there no balm in Gilead. He's asking the question here, and, and, and he's trying to, to make a parallel to make people think, and, and he says, come on guys, there's some medicine for this. This disease that you have, there's a remedy for it. And he kind of makes a play on words that, that there is a remedy in Gilead. It's a special bomb that's able to heal all kinds of diseases. Why haven't you made yourself uh, uh, availing to it? Why haven't you taken advantage of it? 
Once again, let me remind you, there was a tree in the land of Gilead, the balsam tree, that a person could cut into the bark and this white, oozy sap would come out and that sap would be used to be turned into medicine that was known for its healing properties in that day and age. And of course, Jeremiah is not saying, well, if you go to, Bal- go to Gilead and you get the sap and you put it on the skin, uh, that it will heal your diseases. No, he's making a spiritual application. That there's a remedy out there, Israel, if you're willing to take advantage of it. And today, once again, those of us who are infected with disease, uh, this disease of sin, Jeremiah is saying, is there not a balm in Gilead? Is there not a remedy out there for you? For the physical body, there was the balm in Gilead, but for the spiritual body, for us today, there is the blood of Jesus Christ. We are reminded in Isaiah chapter 53 how that He was wounded for our transgressions. He carried with Him our iniquities. The chastisement of His peace was upon Him, and we are healed by His stripes. There is a healing, a remedy, and it's called the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice some almost unusual parallels that take place in what Jeremiah says about the balm in Gilead and when we think about the blood of Jesus Christ. First of all, the origin. Where did this balm come from? Well, this balm came from the sap that oozed from the wound in the side of a tree. Our remedy comes from a wound that has been placed that flows from blood and water from the side of Jesus Christ. When we think about the fact that it was an axe that would cut into the balsam tree to make that sap flow, and then we think about the fact that Jesus Christ had a spear thrust into His side to make that blood and water flow, symbolizing salvation. When we think about the fact not only of its origin, but we think about its healing properties, the balsam tree was able to heal all kinds of bodily ailments, but it's only the blood of Jesus Christ that will heal the sin-sick soul. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-19, through 19, that we have not been redeemed or healed by corruptible things such as silver and gold that was a part of the lifestyle of our forefathers. But we have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb, without blemish and without spot. The blood of Jesus Christ is the remedy that we need. But also when you think about the impartiality of these two things. The balm that was in Gilead, it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter if you were male or female. It didn't matter if you were rich or poor. It didn't matter if you were young or old. It didn't matter if you were educated or not educated. If you had a disease and you got the balm of Gilead and applied it to yourself, then it didn't matter who you were. It was going to make you better. And the same thing applies to the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a remedy out there for your disease, regardless if you're old or young, whether you're uh, rich or poor, whether you're educated or not educated. That balm is for everyone. In fact, Peter, uh, Paul makes a statement in Romans chapter 10 and, and verses 12 and 13 when he says, there's no distinction 
between Jew and Gentile. But the Lord's going to save whoever calls upon Him. And so in verse 13 He says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So notice what Jeremiah has done now. He's he's painting a picture for us that's very logical as you think about it. He says, first of all, there's a disease we're dealing with. But even though we're dealing with this disease, there's a remedy. For physical ailments, there's the balm of Gilead. But for spiritual ailments, there's the blood of Jesus Christ. But he drives the point home even further when he brings out the fact that there's a doctor. Look at verse 22 once again. He says, after saying, is there no balm in Gilead? He says, is there no physician there? Is there no physician there? Now, we can go back and look at some ancient writings and realize that during the time period that Jeremiah was talking about, that many doctors have set up practices in the region of Gilead. I mean, it makes sense. If that's where the healing balm was, it would make sense that the doctors would want to be where the medicine was. And people would take journeys to the region of Gilead so they would meet with these physicians, if you will, and they could apply the balm where it was needed so people could be healed of their physical diseases. And so Jeremiah is asking the question once again, There's a doctor available. Uh, Make an appointment. Go see this doctor. Let him take care of the situation that you have. But once again, he was making a play on words to how that if a person was physically sick, that they want to go see a doctor. I know sometimes, especially those of us who are male, we kind of put off seeing the doctor as long as possible. But sometimes we just have to admit, I can't take care of this on my own, and I need to go see a doctor. And Jeremiah is basically saying, you need to go see the doctor. He's there. Go see him. And certainly as we think about this in the New Testament age and thinking about our current situation here, not only do we have a disease and only there's there a remedy, but there's a doctor who can prescribe and give us that remedy. And his name is Jesus Christ. Over in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 12, Jesus makes the point. He says, those that who are whole have no need of a physician. But I have come to help those who are sick. Uh, we sing another song in our songbook sometimes called uh, The Great Physician. The Great Physician now is near. The sympathizing Jesus. And we have a physician that wants to heal us. We have a physician that is here to save us from this terrible disease that we have. Over in John chapter 3 and verse 14, uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and, and He says to Nicodemus, just like Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be raised up. Now, I don't know if you notice at the beginning of our lesson this particular symbol, and you see this symbol here right now, and I think all of us that are aware of medicine know that this is the symbol of medicine. This is the symbol of healing. 
It's known universally as a symbol of healing, but very few people understand and appreciate what's going on here. What in the world does a snake on a pole have to do with medicine? What in the world does a snake on a pole have to do with healing? Well, back when people believed in the Bible more than they do now, and some things were established that have never been changed, the medical field understood that the healing ultimately comes from God. And they, they believe this so strongly, they used the illustration of a serpent on a stake to remind us of when the Jews were in the wilderness. And these deadly snakes were sent throughout the camp, and they were, as they bit the people, they died. And Moses appealed for the people, and God told Moses, well, you go make a brass serpent, and you put it up on a post, and whoever looks upon this particular serpent, they'll be healed. That's where that particular idea comes from, even in the field of medicine. And Jesus Christ tells us in John chapter 3 and verse 14, He says in the same way that people looked at that snake risen up by, raised up by Moses, in the same way the Son of Man will be raised up. And of course we know the Son of Man that's being talked about here is Jesus Christ, and the way that He was raised up was the cross. And the point is He was telling Nicodemus, you need to look to the cross because the cross is where you're going to find the healing. The cross is where the good doctor is. Back a little bit later on, in that same chapter, verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus went to the cross and became the great physician, if you will. He provided the remedy because of the fact that He loved us so much. He was not willing that any of us should perish, but all of us should come to repentance. You know, I may go see a doctor today. Uh, he may be concerned about my ailment. He may be concerned about my greater good, wanting me to be well. But I doubt I have come in contact with too many doctors in my life that actually love me. They are practitioners. They are involved in a practice. They're involved in a business. Uh, they may love medicine and they may love people in general and therefore they got into the medical field, but it's to make money. It's to make a living. It's a way to go through this life. And they may care about the fact that I'm sick, but I doubt there is too many doctors that think of me with a deep abiding love that's willing to do anything that I need to have done. For a lot of doctors, I'm just a name uh, on a chart, just a number. Uh, it's always interesting to me, and you probably uh, find this funny too, how that maybe you hadn't seen a doctor for three years, and you go in to see him, and he asks you all these questions about uh, your family that you wonder, well, how in the world did he, does he remember all that stuff? Well, the reason why he remembers all of it, because the last time you were there, he wrote all that stuff down in the chart. It makes him seem more personable, if you will. But we have a physician, Jesus Christ, the great physician, who loves us to the uttermost. In fact, He loves us so much that He was willing to die for us. Can you imagine going to see a doctor today and the doctor says, you have an incurable disease and the only way that you're going to be cured is for someone to take all the blood out of your bo their body and put it in into your body. That's the only way you're going to be saved. And let me tell you what, since I'm your doctor, 
I'm going to do that for you. I'm in the curing business. I'm in the business of healing people. And if this is the only way you're going to be healed, then I'm willing to sacrifice myself as your doctor. Ah, that's not going to happen. But that's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ understood and appreciated the fact that the only way that we'll be healed from this disease, the great physician understood that he was going to have to give his life. He was going to have to be the substitute. He was going to have to take our place. Another thing about this particular doctor, this great physician, is the fact here is a man that thoroughly understands the disease that we have. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, the writer of Hebrews brings out the point that uh, we don't have a, a high priest that cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. But instead, he has been tempted in all points as we have. So let us therefore boldly go to his throne of grace and mercy. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying that the doctor that is attending to you that has the remedy for the worst disease that mankind has ever suffered. He knows every single thing about it because he has been through every bit of it as himself. And so when we go before him, he's understanding and sympathetic because he knows exactly how terrible this disease is. Once again, we may go see a doctor today and you may be experiencing diabetes, you may be experiencing heart disease, you may be experiencing arthritis, you may be experiencing cancer, and it may be that the doctor that you're dealing with has never even once experienced any of those things. He doesn't know what it's like. He can be sympathetic, he can prescribe medicine, but to fully appreciate what you're going through, he has no clue. But our doctor, the great physician Jesus Christ, is aware of what sin is and what sin does. And he understood and appreciated the fact that he was the only one that has the cure. And that cure, of course, Jeremiah says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? That cure, of course, has been prescribed for us in God's Word. A doctor may tell you when you, after you see him, well, I'm going to write you a prescription. Go take this by the drugstore, have it filled, and you do what it says on this, and then you'll be healed of your, your problem. Well, basically, Jesus Christ has done the same thing. He says, I understand that you have a disease. I understand that you have an incurable disease that can't be cured on your own. I understand that it's going to cause you to die if something's not done about it. Well, here's the prescription for it. A minute ago I mentioned Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, Paul doesn't stop there. He says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And then verse 17 of the same chapter says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The prescription begins by, listen, you need to read the prescription. And as you read the prescription, you need to have faith in that prescription. You need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that He is the great physician, and that He can heal you. Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 24, If you do not believe that I am He then you will die in your sins. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ and His healing power. But you also need to repent. 
In Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, Jesus say, Nay, except ye repent, you all likewise perish. There's another avenue of the prescription. Romans 10.10, we are reminded that we also need to confess the name of Jesus Christ. But the final thing, the uh, last pill that you need to take in this metaphorical way, you know, it's interesting, whenever somebody prescribes an antibiotic, it's very important they always tell you this, and even the nurse might come in and remind you this again, and even the pharmacist, after he gives you the medicine, he'll remind you of this again, and then on the bottle, you'll be reminded of this again, that when you're taking an antibiotic, you need to take every single pill. You don't stop halfway through. You don't stop three-quarters way through. If you want to be healed completely of the thing that's causing your body problem, you need to finish the entire prescription. And too often times in the religious world today, people stop short with the prescription. But the Bible also tells us if we want to be healed, if we want to have our sins remitted, if we want to have our sins washed away, then a person needs to be baptized. This is so forcefully brought out in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 when, Jesus, when Peter told the people there on the day of Pentecost, you need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. In the very last conversion story in the book of Acts, in Acts 22, when Saul believed with all his heart that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and he has already confessed that he was the Son of God, and he's already repented of his sins, the preacher Ananias got there in Acts 22 and verse 16, and he says, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, there's something that you need to do in order to have your sins washed away. He told Saul, what you're waiting on, you need to be baptized. That's what happens in the prescription that is laid out in the New Testament. But wait a minute, this passage is not over with yet. But notice the groundwork that's already been placed by Jeremiah. He says there is a disease that's ravishing the land of Israel. We can make the parallel, there's a disease that's ravishing the land of America. He says there is a remedy available there's a remedy available for us today. There's a doctor that's available. There's a doctor that's available for us today. But here's the last point that Jeremiah makes that drives a stake into the heart of Israel and should drive a stake into our hearts if we don't respond. And it's simply this, the question. The question. And what a powerful question it is. Notice what he says. After saying, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Now let that sink in for a moment. Jeremiah is saying, you know you got a disease. There's a remedy for it. There's a doctor there that will help you. Why, in the name of anything, have you not taken advantage of that? Israel, why have you not turned to the very thing that will heal you? What's the deal here? And the same question can be asked today. Why in the world, when we know that we are sinners when we know that we'll be lost if we not have something done about that sin, 
And we know that there's the blood of Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus Christ is the great physician and wants to save us and wants us to go to heaven and wants to forgive us of our sins. Why in the world would anybody in the right mind not take advantage of it? It just defies all human logic. Well, there's some possibilities why people don't do it. First of all, there are those who think that they're not really sick. Uh, listen to that preacher up there talking. <laughs> He's talking about, I have sins in my life. Oh, I know I'm not the best person I could be, uh, I, but I'm not mean to people, and I do pretty good getting along with people. I mean, I'm not guilty of stealing or, or lying or killing somebody or anything like that. I mean, I'm not a saint, but I'm not bad. Imagine going to see a doctor and the doctor says it's right here on the x-ray, it's right here in the blood test. If you don't have a treatment done, you're going to die. And you say, well, you know, doctor, I really don't feel that bad, so I'm really not going to respect your diagnosis. I'm just not going to do anything. There's others who think about this particular disease and they, they think, well, I know I'm a sinner, but here's the problem. I'm such a bad sinner. There, there's, there's just nothing that anybody can do. I'm just too far gone. But we need to understand and appreciate the fact that even as Jeremiah is talking about this disease, and as the Bible in the New Testament talks about this disease, there's no such thing as a little sin or a big sin. A sin of losing the temper is the same as the sin of murder, according to James. A person may not think much of maybe stealing a pat of butter off the cafeteria line uh, and cupping it in his hand so we have to pay 25 cents for a pat of butter. But folks, that's just as deadly a sin as somebody stealing a million dollars from a bank. husband may say something ugly to his wife one day um, because he's not thinking correctly. But folks, that's just as bad as a husband taking his fist and pounding his wife's face in. You see, far as God looks at sin, there's no degrees of sin. Sin is sin. And regardless of what your sin may be, God has the remedy. He has provided the great physician. He wants you to be saved. In fact, the only unpardonable sin that the Bible talks about is the sin of not repenting. The sin of not taking advantage of what God has provided. It's the sin of refusing what God has provided for you to be saved. The blaspheming of the Holy Spirit that's talked about as the unpardonable sin is blaspheming the very message that Jesus Christ came to this world to seek and to save, that was lost. You see, remember the well, uh, as Jesus points out in Matthew 9 and verse 12, the well, the whole is not who He's come to save. He's come to save those of us who are sick. So regardless of your sin, regardless of how bad you may think you are, regardless of how much disease you may think you have in this body, Jeremiah and Jesus says today, there's a bomb. Uh, there's a doctor there. Why haven't you taken advantage of it? And one final thing I think about this, I think about the fact there are those who 
perhaps haven't taken advantage of this remedy, haven't taken advantage of this doctor because of the fact that they think that they have plenty of time. They understand they have a disease. They understand that there is a balm in Gilead. They understand that there's a physician there, but they also keep putting it off. I mentioned earlier that those of us who are male, we seem to be um, more likely to do this than other studies have shown, but if we have something bothering us, we just keep putting it off instead of going to see the doctor because we hope that if we put it off long enough, somehow or another it will get better. Well, folks, some things just don't get better on their own. And sin's one of those. And a day that goes by where we haven't repented of, there's another day that we have to repent of, and we don't know whether there's going to be another day in which we can repent. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a physician there. Jeremiah and Jesus both asked the question today, why haven't you taken advantage of it? There's one curious passage in the text that we've been looking at today that's, that's um, very important that we look at, and let's close with it. And that's Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. But Jeremiah makes this very profound statement. He says, the harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. In other words, Jeremiah is saying, you've had all the time in the world, Everything has been provided. In fact, this particular verse leads him to the thing of saying, is there not a bomb in Gilead? Is there not a physician there? Everything is in place. But enough time has passed. And we're still not saved. And so he's asking the question basically once again at the beginning of this whole pericope of Scripture. What are you waiting on? You know you have a disease. A remedy is there, a physician is there, now it's certainly left up to you. If you're lost, it's not going to be God's fault. He has provided everything that needs to be provided. If you're lost, it's going to be your fault. If you have a need this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing?